We hear a lot about narcissism in our culture today because our world seems to be full of narcissists, people who put their own interests before anyone else. But narcissists have a broken conscience. In their world, they are always right. They dismiss or minimize their faults. Their world and their reputation are constantly center stage. A lot of narcissists struggle with religion and with God, in part because when we see ourselves as God does, our self-righteousness has to be confessed as sin. And my hope today is that we can better understand what we're up against with an impossible person. In this case, we're going to be looking at narcissists. The theme of this series of messages is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It's a verse we've been reading together for a couple of weeks, and I hope that you're internalizing, and I'd like for you to read it again with me today. The Apostle Paul says this. Read it with me. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. And I'd like to suggest to you today that these three phrases are related to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a genuine faith. That's the basis of our confidence in God. Now today we're going to be talking about a conscience that, in a negative sense, people who have a hardened conscience, because the Bible is very clear about them. First, it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that there are people uh, among us who are simply liars, people whose consciences are dead and without feeling. Secondly, the Bible says that there are people who, are, who have a defiled conscience, and there's a whole list of sins that they commit because they no longer know the difference between right and wrong, and they are blind to their own need. And third, there's another passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that doesn't mention the word conscience, but it's relevant to what we're talking about today, and it's about a self-centered conscience. And here's what the Apostle Paul says about that. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. It's quite a description, isn't it? Paul is talking about people that you can't please because they're really only interested in themselves and in their own needs. And then Paul outlines this list of sins that will accompany their behavior. So what I'd like to do today is to take a tour of the human heart. And it might be very painful because I'm going to talk about narcissism, which is an unhealthy form of self-love, which stands at the head of all these other sins that he just lists. So one way to deal with this is, to, is that we could go through and explain what every one of these words in the text means. And in a sense, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to come at it from a different perspective. 
I'll define narcissism more in a moment, but I want you to know that to some extent, all of us are narcissists. All of us love ourselves, but there are some people who are actually diagnosed as narcissistic or have narcissistic personality disorder, and these are real people who exist in every segment of our society. Whether they are attorneys or doctors or factory workers or politicians, narcissism is a warped sense of self-love and it equally applies to both genders. Narcissism, you may recall, comes from Greek mythology. Narcissist was the son of a god, supposedly, who was in love with himself and he greatly admired by other people. The story goes that he looked into a pool of water and he saw an image of himself and he fell in love to the point that he couldn't even eat. He became almost anorexic because he was so enamored with how beautiful he looked. Now, if you think back to the book of Genesis, when Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden, go ahead and eat of the forbidden fruit of that tree that God has told you not to eat, because if you do eat from it, you're going to know good and evil, and you're going to be like God. And that challenge has been fulfilled ever since, in some sense, because a lot of people behave as if they are their own gods. So I ask the question, what is it that God does that the narcissist also does? I want to compare and contrast the two. Well, first of all, whatever God does, the scripture tells us, is is right and good. The Bible says that God is sovereign. He does what he pleases, and by definition, what he does is good and it's right because God is love and he is holy. The narcissist believes that they're also always right. They're not particularly teachable because they have this air of superiority that they know it all. They believe that they already have a better perspective on things than anybody else. A second characteristic of God is that everything exists for him. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that all things were created for God's pleasure. Now, a narcissist is someone who processes all information through two important questions. How does this make me look and how does this make me feel? Feeling good about yourself is incredibly important, as we all know. And if you mention that someone else is successful to a narcissist, they become envious, sometimes even angry, that they're not the ones being recognized because everyone else exists for what could be called narcissistic supply, namely to feed their ego. So they have this sense of entitlement. They really believe that the world owes them. And when the world doesn't stand up and give them what they believe they deserve, the result is a great deal of anger, disappointment, sometimes even depression, because people aren't recognizing who they really are. Now third, God's glory is most important. There are many narcissists who are obsessed with their appearance. They need constant and extensive affirmation and admiration, and what they want is for people to recognize them. Sometimes they have fantasies of success and they over-exaggerate their particular issues, and the things that they've accomplished because basically they see the world as existing for them. Then fourth, God controls everything. But a narcissist also seeks to control. Are you recognizing anybody you know in some of these descriptions? Uh, You might in a bit. But a narcissist wants to control people, and they often do it through chaos. Chaos is very important. 
because the family has to be kept wondering what dad thinks and nobody really knows because his actions are always unpredictable. And the minute you think you've found a way to please them, you discover that the goalpost moves. It's like kicking a field goal in a football game and while the ball is in the air, the goalpost gets moved further back. So you always lose. You're always criticized, you're always belittled, because it's the narcissist, remember, who's at the center of everything that's happening. Everything needs to come out good for them. They're critical of everything because if they approve of anything, that means that, that, means that someone else may have some good in them. Now, if a narcissist walks into a room, he or she sees everyone else as the competition. And what they have to do is to somehow diminish other people, sometimes through criticism, Remember, a narcissist has to be the center of attention. Everything needs to focus on them. A narcissist feels uncomfortable when there's peace. They certainly feel uncomfortable when someone else is honored because they think to themselves, that really should be me. After all, remember, they're gods, small letter G. Wasn't that the promise of Eden? That if we ate of the forbidden tree, we would be like God. Well, I've been describing a narcissist, and I'm going to continue with that description in a moment because it seems to me that self-love, standing at this, the head of this list, this catalog of sins that Paul talks about in Timothy, uh, reminds us that it really is the seed of all the other issues. It is the seed of everything that follows. And of course, as a result, these are folks who have a dysfunctional conscience. And that's the point I want to make today. A couple of years ago, um, I preached a two-part message uh, on the subject of narcissism, and it was amazing how many people came up to me in the weeks that followed to talk about those messages and how they knew someone who had married a narcissist. And they said, we know exactly what you're saying. It was a perfect description. The truth is, narcissists can be hard to spot if you don't know what you're looking for. They can be cute, they can be bubbly, they can be engaging, they can be lots of fun, but they believe they have to be the center of the universe. It's like the t-shirt that says, it's all about me. Or another t-shirt I saw that said, just worship me and we'll get along fine. That's all you have to do to get along with a narcissist because you exist for them. So here's what life is like if you've married a narcissist, and I have no doubt that some of you uh, may have. Remember, very conservatively, about 10% or more of the population are narcissists. Let me try something. How many people are in the row that you're sitting in today? Count them off. One, two. Look at the person next to you and say, you could be the narcissist. How about that? No, no I won't do that. Let me tell you what life is like if, you're, if you live with a narcissist. And this is not from experience because I don't live with a narcissist, but I know a little bit about narcissists because I deal with them a lot in my job. First of all, a narcissist has their own reality. You see, truth to a narcissist is something you have to dismiss if it gets in the way of their ego or what they want to do. They have their own reality. And sometimes you think that you've agreed with them and then something, uh, you've, you think you've come to this meeting of the minds only to discover that they took the truth, turned it a half a turn, and suddenly it comes out something different than what you agreed on. And you begin to say to yourself, am I crazy or are they crazy? 
I thought that we had just agreed on this. But the narcissist is filled with self-justification because they have their own reality. Secondly, a narcissist has little or no feelings. This is what actually led me to preach this message. It's because the Apostle Paul says their consciences have been cauterized. Now, our key verse talks about having a clear conscience before God. These are folks whose consciences have been cauterized, Paul says. They're hardened. They're seared. In chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, it says that they are past being able to feel. Wow. Past being able to feel. It also says they're callous. You have to remember that they have no feelings for them, for those whom they hurt. And if they are also abusers, they don't even hear the cry of their child. or They don't even see that how their actions are affecting the life of their spouse. Third, a narcissist feels their own pain very keenly. And I think one of the best examples of narcissism in the Bible is uh, Adam and Eve's son, Cain. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that Adam and Eve raised the son Cain, and then they had another son, Abel, and one day Cain kills his brother Abel, and God says, as punishment, I'm going to make you a fugitive in the land. Nobody's going to ever get the opportunity to kill you. I'll put a mark on you, I'll protect you, but you're going to be a fugitive and you're going to be hunted all of your life. And Cain says, oh, give me a break, God. You know, he had just murdered his brother Abel, and now he's complaining about the fact that somebody is going to try and be after him, and he's going to be a fugitive. See, there are people in this world that will stab you and leave you bleeding, as it were, along the side of the road, and they'll walk away feeling sorry for themselves. That's narcissism. Why? Because they are past being able to feel your pain and your hurt. Their conscience is seared. Occasionally, a narcissist will admit to something, but they will minimize it. Okay, I messed up. I had an affair, so I'm sorry. Let's move on. See, there's no sense of the depth of the pain that was caused. There's no sense of the hurt because all they care about is, let's get this over with. Let me just sort of superficially confess, it's not that big of a deal anyhow. It's minimized. Then fourth, a narcissist sees people as entirely good or evil. Here's what will happen. A narcissist will get married and think that their mate is just adorable. You know, you're the greatest thing in the world. I believe that I can't believe I married you, yada, yada, yada. And then the spouse will not meet their expectations. She'll not supply what the ego of the narcissist needs. And now instead of working through some future difficulty, the spouse will be demonized. He or she will be the worst possible person. Everything they do is wrong. And if you're ever in a divorce with a narcissist and you say to yourself, well, okay, I'll give him the house, I'll give her what, just what she wants so we can have peace, you will discover that there will never be enough because it's not peace they're after. It is to destroy you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that they are unappeasable unappeasable. The narcissist sees the evil that is in them as belonging to you. So they lie, they manipulate, they use their emotions to come up with their own truth. So they don't need facts. They know who's against them. They often can be paranoid because they believe people are after them. Well, what are we to do about that? Let me give you a prescription today, and then we're going to turn to the scripture because as always, we're going to look to the one who has some answers for us. 
First of all, a couple of very practical words. If you know anything about narcissism and you're living with a person who is a narcissist, just take a deep breath and remember that they too have a story and they have a story that we need to listen to. There's a good chance that a narcissist was abused at some point in their life. There's a very good chance that they were abandoned, maybe when they were young. Uh, maybe they were in an alcoholic home or came from a very dysfunctional family. And so this self-protection, this godlike complex that we've spoken about begins to take over. That's often the cause. Let me, uh, let's remember also that no matter how much evil they do, there's more to them than simply the evil. They are human beings created by God who need to be ministered to and helped if they are open to receiving the help. But I want to be very honest, don't have high expectations. If you have company over to your home and the narcissist is happy after the company leaves, they may suddenly turn and without reason be a person who's angry, controlling, and critical. And you say to yourself, who did I really marry? Was it the person who was just having fun or the person who's now turned so angry after the company left? Remember, a narcissist doesn't have to be good, but they certainly have to look good in those moments. Lower your expectations. The other thing that I would suggest is that you need to be able to become a whole person in the midst of living with a narcissist. The Apostle Paul says, stay away from people like that. Avoid people like that. But if you're married to one, that's pretty hard to do. So what you need to do is to try to find some friendships in the community and within the church or find a small group or find some people who can pray with you and for you so that God will grant you the grace that you need. Now let's ask the question, can a narcissist change? Statistically, the answer is the chances are slim to none that they'll change. There's severe emotional damage and baggage that comes with this disorder. And I think that some narcissists do have moments of clarity, but changing behaviors that are so deeply embedded is extremely difficult, especially without some very good help. But I believe in grace, and nobody should be considered beyond the bounds of God's redeeming grace. A narcissist is very critical of everything they hear. Why? Because they think that they know better than anybody else. They believe they have insight that other people lack. Nothing can please them because their standards are so high. After all, they are God, small letter G. I do believe that on occasion, some light does get through and a narcissist begins to see themselves, but it's very rare. I mean, we're talking here about some serious matters because narcissists don't see themselves the way everyone else does. That's why everybody else needs counseling, but not them. That's why everybody else is wrong, but not them. I want to invite you to the scripture, um, and it's a favorite passage of mine, and probably my, one of my all-time favorite pieces of scripture, and it's in Psalm 139. And I think there's some answers here for the narcissist. In Psalm 139, David says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I want you to notice that David says here, God knows us completely. 
How many times did you sit down and stand up yesterday? Have any idea? God knows the number because he has accurate and perfect knowledge. Before you think a thought, God knows what you're going to think. You see, God knows all of our thoughts. He knows the thoughts of how deeply we resent people, how sometimes we minimize people, how deeply um, we resent people who are seemingly more successful than us or have or more beautiful than, than we think we are, or somehow more gifted. God knows all of those things before we even think them. God says, sees it when we hypocritically come to church and pretend to love people, when in our heart we're despising them behind our back or talking smack about them. See, God sees all of our thoughts. He sees the things that we watch on our computer, or our, the books we choose to read, or the movies we go to. God sees it all. Before we speak, before the words are actually formed, we, and we can actually say them, God knows them already. Can you imagine that? Not only does God know them, but he knows all the words that sometimes we even wish we could speak, but for various reasons are only spoken in our heart. And to the narcissist today, I would say, God knows your fears. He knows how scary it is to think that you might be exposed and how much shame that you do want to hide, but that's, and that's why you're all closed up. But he, he notices how you come to church and tending to be critical of what's happening because you can't let God get close and show you your true self. Not only does David say that God knows us exhaustively and completely, but he says in verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Everything that we do is in broad daylight to God. Secondly, not only does God know us completely, he knows us eternally. Verse 13, you made made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. God was there creating the DNA that we would eventually have. God was there when the coming together of the genes produced us. It was God who didn't make us maybe as beautiful as the person next door, or maybe as gifted as, as our neighbor, but God was supervising all of that. Verse 15 says, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was already recorded in your book. Every moment of our life was laid out before a single day passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. You know, the knowledge that God has of us blows my mind. But David gets to the end of this psalm, and he says in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And here's what David's saying. I know that you know all about me, God. And now I'm asking you to show me what you see. 
How many of us are brave enough to ask God that question? In the presence of God, we can have total honesty because we're not telling God anything that he doesn't already know. You see, we can spill our guts and we can pray a prayer something like, oh God, show me what you see. Show me as much as I'm able to handle of who I really am. Show me my deceitful heart. God, I want a conscience that's clear before God and before other people. I want a sensitive conscience. I don't want one that's hardened. I don't want to be calloused. I don't want to be past feeling. Reveal every flaw to me so that I can confess it and I can have the opportunity to know that and the security to know that I can confess it to other people as well. I want to admit who I am without fear of being rejected. I want to admit who I am without fear of being tossed aside because, God, you already know it all anyway. Do you see why it's so hard for a narcissist to change? For that matter, any of us. It's because in, our, in a hardened state, a narcissist would rather destroy people around them, including their own family, than let God change them. Hear me carefully. There are some things, there are some of us who have to repent of our sins. We do that all the time. We have to be constantly praying for that forgiveness and, re and asking for repentance. But there's others of us who have to repent from our self-righteousness if we're ever going to move forward in our spiritual life. Jesus said, I came not to save the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. So whether you are a narcissist or not, I pray that you'll hear this message today and you'll say to yourself, God, I stand before you as a sinner in need of your grace, in need of the forgiveness and the transformation that you intend to bring about in my life. See, the Bible says that there are a lot of us who profess to know God, but we deny his power. We've never really been transformed. And if we're to be transformed, our hard hearts have to be broken in the presence of God's spirit. And then, only then, can we be healed. That's what a narcissist needs, but most of the time, they think they don't need anything. And so they live in this isolated world. It's a warped world, but it's their reality. What's God talking to you about today? Would you stop right now and tell God that you're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever he wants you to do, to break out of your self-righteousness? and come as a person who needs a clear conscience. Let's pray. Father, help us today because we are sinners, and we thank you for the love of Jesus, which is deep, and we thank you that the one who knows us the best loves us the most, and therefore we can be secure in sharing our own needs and sharing who we are and letting the mask drop so that in the midst of that reality, we may see the power of God at work. Do that today in each of our lives, because we desperately need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.